Today's episode is brought to you by Jaipur Living. Jaipur Living is committed to the craftsmanship and quality of handmade rugs and textiles. They are keeping this age-old tradition alive through their partnership with over 40,000 artisans across India. Start creating beautiful lives for your clients across all price points by opening a trade partnership account. Sign up at jaipurliving.com hyd. On today's show, we're sharing some secrets of styling and talking about the art of selling accessories. And we have some exciting past guests to share their own process. We get into profitability, efficiency, and how to retain the joy of design. So if you've been wondering how everyone else does it, this is the show for you. Let's go. Rebecca of Studio Plum. And I'm Sean of Renstead Interiors. We're interior designers. Turned internet friends. Turned real life friends. Welcome to the Hot Young Designers Club podcast. We're not that hot. Or that young. Every week, we'll be spilling the tea on how a new generation of interior designers can run their businesses. Welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. Hi, Sean. What's up, Rebecca? feel like it's been a minute this our little summer skips make it i don't know we'll skip to my loo it slows down the pace which was purposeful right (laughs) but uh, we're living with intention but (laughs) is that or like it is tough because you're trying to like maintain momentum on things like just in life in general so trying would be the key word (laughs) there do you want to do you want to take us into the fizzle sizzle? I guess my fizzle would be since we're all back into traveling. We went on an annual camping trip that my cousins, my dad, my uncle and then a bunch of my cousins from different states we meet and we had a big turnout this year so I went and I just really didn't want to. <laughs> I should have listened to myself. I've told you this before. The older I get and the nicer my own home environment gets, I just don't need that Mm -hmm. far of a downgrade. I don't want to sleep on like... A pad on the ground with rocks underneath. Yeah, or even my brother rented a trailer and we had somewhat of a bed, but it's so dirty. (laughs) So dirty. Yes. I don't want to live like a pioneer person. And your home is so beautiful and comfortable and has everything you could ever want. Especially air conditioning. (laughs) I always think now it's like Civil War reenactment. Like, Like, those were really hard times. I don't understand why people do that. And then we're kind of doing that with camping. Like, like we let's romanticize pre- camping. Yeah, let's go back to like primitive times where we cook by open fire and sit in the dirt and are open to the elements. I don't know. But you're in your own home and there's a bathroom 10 feet away. Don't you think our ancestors would just like roll their eyes and scoff at like what? Why? Why are you doing that? We worked hard there's- so you didn't have to sleep in the dirt. But... Anyway, my dad, Cecily, and I had gone two nights, and on the third day, we were driving back to the camp, and I'm like, Dad, what if we just leave tonight, (laughs) stay somewhere on the way home? 
It's like, I wouldn't argue with that. <laughs> See, he was just like waiting for you to bring it up. He's never done that before. Yeah, he was over it too. So yeah, so we ended up going to a really kind of crappy hotel room, which was an upgrade from our last two nights of existence. And sure. I don't regret it. And that's the fizzle. Fizzle. Fizzle, which was probably part of the problem, is two weeks before that, we had gone in a beautiful family vacation to the big island of Hawaii, where there were cabana boys and service <laughs> and margaritas and clean sheets. Yeah. And it was very lovely and wonderful. It was so great to just be away. Obviously, it's just the three of us. And yeah, like I didn't do work. I didn't think about work. It was just great. So I probably uh, should have reversed the timing on those two trips. Camping first. So mm -hmm. you're so happy when you went to Hawaii. Yes, because it was like yeah. a long way to fall. <laughs> like experience wise. The from luxury hotel with literal flowers in the air to again with the dirt. Yeah. It's not my it's not my favorite. We did a lot of camping when I was younger and I feel like my tolerance was definitely there when I was younger. Me too. I didn't know any better. Yeah. Let me get the fizzle out of the way cuz it stinks. I had a project that needed a different structural partner for we needed an engineer and it's someone I hadn't worked with before that came recommended by another local designer and none of this is her fault so I'm not even going to say who it was but that person the structural vendor has really delayed a project that should have been done and it took some digging, but because you know me, I'm tenacious, so I'm not going to let it go. But like the deadline for when they would be finished with their work just kept coming and passing and go. And then it was again. And I'm like, okay, like, give me the real, real what's going on. And what it came down to is like, they legit have never worked in so many projects at a time. Like greater LA is just booming everywhere. And I think they just grossly underestimated how long things were going to take them and how they weren't they were like not saying no to projects. So they just have all these projects now sitting in process, but not enough of a team to get them done. And how do you grow fast enough to get past all that? Like, mm -hmm. so now we're into months past when I thought their work would already be completed at this point. Like completed from that vendor. From that vendor. So okay. I can't even not finish like submitting to the, the city. Yeah, no, they're not the job, but like their calculations, their sign off <laughs> to add to the construction docs to go to the city. So I'm just trying to work with it as much as I possibly can for this client. And I'm honestly at a point where I do have some draft documents and I'm probably just going to start doing a couple trade days with contractors and having them base it off of what I do have because we're not reinventing the wheel architecturally. And I feel like most contractors are going to know what I'm going to need to do to quote this. So it just stinks because I hate being the one that's like, oh, this is the deadline. And now we've passed it several times and the clients are like, what's going on? That sucks. I don't want to do that. Well, that's, I know. And that's like, what I really hate about this job <laughs> because it's I, like time and it happens with budget too. 
Yes. Oh, and it's going to happen with this. I don't want to discourage anybody from doing it. It's just, I've definitely learned I will be further qualifying parties who do this type of work. And as much as I love supporting a smaller vendor who's like a mom and pop, it may not make sense for most projects because they just can't perform at the speed. So that's the the fizzle is just the delays. This is probably why I am so looking forward to my sizzle of this week, which is we are going to Palm Springs for this weekend to celebrate a belated birthday for a friend. And a group of us have a cool house with an amazing pool. It is going to be over 110 degrees every day. Hmm. It's a dry heat. So, <laughs> but it's a dry heat. <laughs> it's going to be very warm. And I th- honestly, I was looking at all the things that I could pack. And I was like, nope, there's not going to be one pair of pants. Because why? No. And I think I'm going to pack one polo shirt. Because there's one night we're going to go have a nice meal. And a polo with shorts is totally resort worthy. Yeah. But otherwise, it's pool attire only outside. I'm bringing my giant, huge sun hat because you know me, I do not want to be burned. Mm-hmm. But it'll be a really nice, like this is, we've gone to Vegas, but I don't count that as vacation. Because no. like going to market is, is work. Exhausting. But- It's tiring. Yeah, like we have a good time, but it's not vacation by a pool. Honestly, this is my first vacation during pandemic life. I've we've not really mine. Mm -hmm. That was like where you broke the seal. And so this is like the start, hopefully the start of things. I know Delta variants weird for all of you listening. We're in California. It sucks here. We have to, we're back to wearing masks inside in LA County. I don't know what Sacramento County is doing. Don't even get me started. So, you know, yes, everyone, please get vaccinated. Anyway, (laughs) we digress. Uh, So back to today's episode. Today's show, we've secretly been planning this for a long time to get some thoughts and ideas from different designers. And then we also talk with other designers that we know outside of the show. Yeah, because it's one of those things that is like a shameful little secret or in my conversations, nobody feels confident or great about their process with handling accessories as an independent solo preneur designer. Right. Or they do it, but they don't feel confident that this is the way they want to keep doing it for their career indefinitely. Yeah, because there's a lot of pain points with it. It doesn't feel profitable. There's a lot of schlepping or storing. Yeah, the only or like people capital that, investment. Yeah, the only people that I know that like feel like they have their game figured out own retail storefronts. But I don't want to run a I don't, store. I don't either. I don't, and I'm not suggesting that everyone needs to. I'm just saying that's where it all kind of makes sense because there's right. like a full closed loop. Yeah, because it's just we see these beautiful finished photos. And then as designers, we're all learning that, oh, wait, yes, obviously the photos as they're styled and accessorized are different than what it would look like for it, real life for the client. We totally get that. But I think we, it's that secret of, oh, well, how much of that was done completely before a photograph? So I know how much effort I should put in. And every designer is doing it differently. 
Some are. To your point, which we didn't get to in the episode really is, I think there are two different things. There's the styling for installation mm-hmm. and selling to the client. And then there's styling for photos. Yes. And you but can this is really just stylist. You can hire a stylist, especially for photography and editorial. Yes. And Ginny McDonald was a past guest of ours on the show. That was episode six, you guys. That's really Aww. taking it back right so there. So cute. She recorded it in her closet. <laughs> anyway, so Ginny and I have talked separately about some of the stuff that she's done and she has hired a stylist, but it's more from an editorial perspective of if you hire stylists for a shoot, they, if they don't live in your area, you have to be ready to cover their travel to you. Um, They're open to helping you kind of create the aesthetic vision you have for a space. So if maybe the way it actually turned out isn't really the representation of how you want it photographed for your portfolio, they're really great at helping you with that, almost like window styling, you know? Yeah, and working with the photographies, so photographers, so they're they're they styling help for you do that the camera. for you. Yeah, and in theory, they could be at the shoot instead of you, so you're not losing True. that day. Um, but yeah, it is. It can be pricey, and in truth, like you can also pay them to show up with a bunch of stuff for the shoot, or you can have your own options there on site. But the life of a stylist is different than what we are talking about here, where we're talking about accessorizing and styling to sell to your client. Yes, for them to live with. So they're not going to, like a client isn't going to need to live with a, I don't know, a funky branch that's eight feet tall and in the middle of the dining room. Like that looks beautiful in photos, but... No one's going to have that. Yeah, like a stylist will bring the bowl of 20 artichokes to your photo shoot. And that's great. But your client's realistically not going to leave all that out on the counter. No. So I think that's the reality versus the dream. We totally get it. We're selling a dream to our clients. But part of that dream is creating spaces that are fully realized and that have a finished direction. And there are many designers who put that stake in the ground and say... I don't do rooms unless I finish it to that photograph level, which is something we're both trying to get to in is that it's just hard to entice future clients when they don't see those finished spaces as examples. They, they don't see the full vision realized. Yes. And so like, for instance, my last project that I shot, I got They gave me a styling budget, but their preference was pretty minimal in Mm -hmm. the way it was styled, which is not how I wanted it to look for photos. So when I shot, I was my own stylist and I humped in a bunch of extra stuff. So you got to fill in the gaps. Yeah. So that was a lot of work. But going forward, anything that's full service, it's like you're going to need to invest in this to be a finished project or you Mm -hmm. won't. Most people won't feel like it's done. I mean, yeah. What's the point of the dining room? If it really is just a table and chairs, 
and a light fixture. Like there's nothing around giant it. Sofa with no pillows on it doesn't look that great. Or your yeah, like, like old college blankie on there. Like it's, <laughs> it's not a, it's not the fantasy. Yeah, I think that's that's. And I'm not like going to photograph that. So. Yeah, and that's where we're both like, okay, what's the point? So the exploration in this was, let's hear from others how they're doing it. We are not pretending to give you all a magic solution. I don't think there's any one answer. Maybe the biggest takeaway here is we all do things differently and you feel more comfortable with your process knowing that there's some pros and cons to all the ways that other designers do it. Yeah, and to keep trying to get it to feel better and look better. And if, if if all else fails and you can't get a client to sign off on all the accessories you want, then you just can fake it for a photo shoot. Totally. Let's start with Inea White. Totally, you guys will remember Inea. Inea was um, such a wonderful guest. She's one of our most popular episodes to date. She's episode 38. If you wanna go back and listen to her, she is the best she's the coolest and she's like at the top of my list to visit when i can get to new york city same everybody manages styling differently so we want to know how you do it is it for example clients are giving you a flat number for the budget and you pick everything and just come in with it do you bring extra then they buy it are you returning a lot of stuff like give us the down and dirty for it are you right you have a stock of stuff what i've been doing is waiting until the shoot day (laughs) and then i just buy a ton of stuff and the client a is just on this high that their place is being photographed so it's kind of like a mind trick like oh don't take this stuff out i i want it And then great for me because I don't have to return it. I've been doing it like that. I don't love that process. I think it wastes so much time and energy. And some of the stuff I just have kept because I haven't made it back to return it. But I also don't really have the space to hold on to it. Um, It's not like you have a storage room in your apartment or also, but to lug it like on the subway. Oh my God. No. Like, (laughs) I did get a car in the middle of the pandemic. So I don't have to. You need that. Yeah. So you're just getting reimbursed for stuff. So you're basically like setting it up, making them fall in love and then write me a check for this much. Exactly. And you can keep the dream. Exactly. Do they know that's going to happen? Like, are you kind of setting them, like preparing them for that? I think in the future, I will just add, like I, for this, the last time I sent out an invoice for the room, I just put a general... I, this is what I do. I'd see how much I can get away with. And then if I get pushed back, I'm like, oh, sorry. But I just put a little, (laughs) exactly. I put a little line on the invoice that said miscellaneous accessories per rendering. And then Uh, $1,000 proposal. Mm -hmm. And then they, she just paid for it. She didn't ask questions. So now I can just buy whatever I want. I can get trade pricing for it. And I don't have to worry about returning it. If she hates it, then whatever. I'll, I'll just keep it. But that worked. I, I feel like if it's selling the fantasy. Project. I did a like a $1,500 styling retainer just so I could buy against it and not. That's a good idea. It makes it a lot. I don't know. I mean, it's a lot easier, but also just gets them ready. And I 
I usually will go over and then they owe me, but then, yeah, you're not worried about so much the returns and the pricing. Like they don't need to see a full itemized invoice necessarily. Yeah. I was doing that. That's a nightmare. Okay. Well, that was really helpful from a big city New York designer like Anaya to know that I'm doing something similar. Yeah, it's like a relief because (laughs) no one's talking about it. And we see these beautiful, magical photos, but we're not all sure how we're getting to the same place. And yeah, because it's hard when you don't have a storefront to pull from to have the inventory Mm -hmm. of stuff. So when you're an independent designer that's working out of your own home, you can't order a bunch of trade stuff in advance and the inventory of it all like it's a lot so we're kind of stuck with this retail game which nobody loves right I don't think it's what any of us want to be doing especially when you're thinking like oh all these hours that I'm pulling all this stuff together like how am I charging for that how am I getting paid for that or if I didn't have to do this I could be working on other things that are getting me paid right what are the efficiencies (laughs) sometimes we have to just pull from stores and resources we have boutiques that we have and get what we can yes and fill in the gaps that weren't really planned for I did like when she talked about and when you mentioned setting aside just this line item like I'm not gonna put aside a vessel for your keys and a little cup for something like I'm going to just put a big line item. Maybe it's a percent of the total budget and then just be done with that and not have to negotiate it. So that's where I'm still in a debate with myself. Mm -hmm. Yes. The styling retainer is definitely something that comes up like three quarters of the way through. I told I've told them from the beginning this is going to happen, but I don't know what the number is until I know exactly kind of every the design. Plan. Yeah, if you don't haven't designed the shelving yet, yeah. how much do you have to put? Yeah. So I've been doing write me a check for $1,500 for me to shop with. And then at the end, there's going to be an itemized invoice. And then they typically will owe me. Mm-hmm. But it always comes out more than anyone thought. Yeah, I just don't. The whole, like she was saying, the itemized invoice is a nightmare. Yeah, especially if you already had from the accounting side, you have a cost of goods sold category. However, you guys are accounting for it. If you have an inventory or something, the cost of all of that already had to be registered long before you're selling it. And so those accounts have to balance out in the long term that if you've retained things that you're going to sell at some point, you got to sell out from that same category and get that money back. Yeah, it's been a little bit of a nightmare for me, for sure, because I collect vintage all the time and all over. And I started working with a little inventory software. Do you not even want to say what it is yet? Knowing that this isn't an endorsement yet, maybe? Well, it's... (laughs) I just haven't had enough volume to totally test it, but it's the app that I've been using is called Sortly and it's good. And it has a lot of options to like add to like creating barcodes and stickers that you put on the items, which I would love to get to that, but you definitely need somebody else to help you. Like 
I ain't got time for that. <laughs> I know another designer mentioned Lightspeed, which is another software that helps you do that. Yeah, there are a few. I don't remember exactly why I chose Sortly. I do like that you can do it all through the app. You can take photos of the item and then quickly add it to your inventory in the app. And then that can sync to a spreadsheet and gives you a little item code. I like that because the goal would be that your life is easier when it comes time to sell it. Yes. And you can keep track of that inventory sheet and, and have that as a supplement for the client. I'm thinking about like in my software, I'm still using Ivy and I don't want to put 24 things in for that. I'm honestly feel like it's just easier to put a total cost line and then give mm -hmm. a separate inventory sheet from whatever program I'm using. It's because just not. In theory, when you're finishing your styling, you would go and scan all of the barcodes of all the items that you installed. Yep. And then you would get your total. It's just the input. It's the data entry that's. Uh, this is what interns do. Like, <laughs> this is what you have them do at the very entry level or an admin, just a general admin could do this kind of stuff. They don't totally. have to have a design eye to scan things after you've installed. Totally. Yeah. So that goes down a rabbit hole. Um, Big city designers are just like us. <laughs> they are. <laughs> the Hot in Designers Club is proud to partner with Jayport Living. When we're looking for trade vendors, things we care about are beautiful products, how easy it is to order, and whether we're supporting companies who are doing good in the world. We both really believe that a good rug makes the room and Jayport Living helps us bring quality rugs and textiles into our projects. Their website makes it quick to track inventory, place orders, and even get pricing on customized rugs. And Jayport Living is a family-owned company with a focus on social responsibility. They are changing the lives of more than 40,000 artisan weavers throughout India by providing a living wage, education, and access to healthcare. So that means that every rug we sell to our clients is helping someone support their family. And hotties, we know you're going to love supporting women in business. More than 85% of Jaipur Living's weavers are women and they're a female-led company. Head to jaipurliving.com slash HYD to sign up for your trade partner account today. Now we have Lauren from Studio Laylock. So when I'm designing a project, sometimes I'll think about the accessories and the kinds of accessories at the beginning, but I won't actually buy them or put them in the plans. I'll show clients like if lighting, like certain lamps are important, or if there's certain fabrics when we're pulling together rooms and scheming, like we'll pull the different fabrics that work within that space. But a lot of my accessories happen once we kind of get that first layer of an install in. So once we get the furniture in, We've put the rugs down and we kind of know the structure of the room and how it's feeling and coming together. Then the accessories come in and it's kind of individualized per client. So sometimes I'll work with clients and see what they already have and we'll go through and we'll edit what they have and then we'll look at their artwork and help with editing artwork. That's also the place where I like to suggest new artwork to clients. And then in terms of where I buy them, a lot of my purchasing is vintage, I would say. I have done some wholesale and retail. Kravit has that, you can buy through Kravit. 
I mostly buy vintage and antique just because that's really what makes projects feel unique and different. I would say as far as if I buy in bulk or like as I'm going, some I like to go antique shopping and vintage shopping and shopping at flea markets whenever I can. When we used to travel all the time, we would plan our vacations around where there are flea markets. And so I try to buy whatever I can and bring it back with me. And I will hold on to different accessories that I love or I think are right for client projects. And then I will sell them to the client. I do have a bit of an inventory of all my accessories and I have a lot that I use for photo shoots later on. I feel like purchasing, sometimes it just happens when I'm working with the clients and I'll say, okay, now we need to pull these different accessories. But I would say it's harder to find vintage of exactly what you want. So it's really more about just buying whenever I see something and then charging the client for it later. In terms of returns, I only, once in a while, if I'm buying from retail, I'll purchase items and bring them to the clients and return them back. But usually that doesn't typically happen. I want to live on that buy vintage journey. I do too. Well, I do a lot. I do live there a lot, but I want to live on the planning my family vacations around flea markets journey. (laughs) The problem is, is I wouldn't want to give the pieces up, but like I have things that are like, oh, I got that in a Paris flea market. Then you could sell that fantasy to the client who would be really stoked on it. People like a story, which is why I feel like vintage or antique and really cool collected pieces really carry some like gravity, especially because when you've redone a room, it naturally starts to feel really um, soulless. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess that's the word. Like it just, it feels like, it's so new that it needs to have some credibility added back in. And part of the way that we like to do that is by bringing in pieces that aren't new. They should feel more authentic. And I can only imagine the storage space that you would fill up taking this path though. Oh my God. And this is where like every designer struggles with the like, well, then do I have to open up a retail arm? My answer to it is no, no you don't. I mean, you I don't definitely have to do that. Don't want to. Well, back to like the soul of it. I mean, I really feel energetically that old objects that have had lives in multiple homes carry that kind of fingerprint of other people, literally yeah. and like, I don't know, energetically, I guess. Yeah. And I always try to ask the seller if they have any kind of provenance, like, you know where this is from where'd you get it so like i've been to a few estate sales or even an antique shop here that they bought from an estate sale of like a prominent person in the city that their school's named after you know like there's names that people know and it's from their estate when you have stories like that i just think i feel it when i using the objects that i own so you want to give some of that to clients. Yeah. I think we've talked about this journey separately, which is like having a storage unit that is moderately temperature controlled in some way, depending on what you want to put. Like if you're going to buy wood furniture pieces, yeah, they probably need some type of temperature control. 
but storage units aren't that expensive. Your business insurance policy can cover storage units, but you do have to be committed to selling the pieces versus just collecting them, which I think is the hard part. Yeah. Like it does cost, it does cost money, but it is, if you're not ready to mark them up and sell them, you're not really going to make a lot of profit off of it. And you're going to end up just eating away at your business. So yeah, you can't collect stuff to just plan on having warehouse sales where you like liquidate shit. I mean, you have to prepare to sell and also, like we were saying, inventory and kind of know what you have. Keep track not- of what you paid for it so you can actually yeah. make money when you sell it six months later. And not forget, because you're just carrying the cost of that, whether you remember or not. Yes. So a local storage unit that's close to where you work. So you can drop by like at the beginning stage of a project, you could go, ooh, do I have any pieces that would work there? That's or if you use this inventory app that I'm talking about, you can thumb through your app and see, okay, what do I have in the pillow department? Mm-hmm. And or what have I already see. picked for dressers that I pulled? And what am I just tired of, but I can get rid of? Like some but things we, are, we're tired of it, but it's- And so we cycle tired. them out. Yeah. I feel like you and I both know that like you don't necessarily get paid for your time- as like a complete one-to-one exchange when you're buying these things. What you're going to make it up on though, ideally is the markup and then the value of having these really cool curated pieces that you can't get from all new. So yeah. And that's part of your brand and your selling point, like a selling point of working with you. Like Lauren, clearly if you love antiques and vintage, you would want as a client would want to work with her because she's going to be pulling the best stuff and not giving you soulless new everything new everything i'm here for the journey i'm sure that both terry and sean would love for both of us to (laughs) turn our collections into a monetization strategy (laughs) i do sell my stuff and this is how i justify it i have my stuff kind of stored in plain sight Mm. so i have shelving that is a collection of pottery and sometimes i cycle through and sell pieces if it works in a client's house and if it's something you want to start considering start with smalls like vases little dishes trays trays yes and then you can move upwards to like i don't store furniture That's And that's like the next level because I feel like you and I both know that we can find really great prices on some of those things. And then we turn around and quite literally, I see bigger name designers selling those things to their clientele for many, many thousands. They bought that at Round Top for $300 and they're selling it for $5,000. I'm on Facebook yeah. Marketplace all the time and I don't, I'm not really ever looking for anything, but I scroll through. Once in a while, I buy something like that Art Deco cabinet in my entryway that I didn't really have a use or need for it. I mean, it was $400 and it's really unique. So I could sell that for way more. And if clients, if that's part of the vision for, and I, we've come, we've talked with a lot of designers who we know that that is part of the vision. 
and they recognize that that staged home look just isn't really what they want to give to clients. And for designers who might be listening and you're thinking, yeah, but that's part of my jam, totally do that. You can do it with new stuff too, if that's your business model. Honestly, doing it with new stuff, you could make a ton more money. Oh, you can make (laughs) a shit ton of money. So if you have a real turnkey look, I always say this, I wish that I wasn't so fussy with this kind of stuff because it costs me more time. Mm -hmm. And like when we went to Vegas market and we're looking at accessories, like if you bought 10 of this thing, you're getting such a good deal on it. I just don't want to look at it 10 times. And put it in a project 10 times. Even though (laughs) the clients would be fine with it. So from a business standpoint, it's profitable. Oh, so don't let us shame you or think you're being, we're being shady when we say we want things to be a certain way. That's just us. And I think that's where in the past we've talked about the difference between there's the level of designers who have a very tailored and specific aesthetic that is We're calling easily, it Studio McGee. It's okay, fine. Let's call it that. <laughs> I mean, I was hoping you were going to say it. So it's that Bitch Studio McGee. Bitch knows how to make a dollar. Yeah. It's that business model that I think she really leaned into and popularized. And she made it possible for other designers to do it. So maybe they're not all copying that exact style. But it's that idea of, I'm going to be so specific with what I do that people will come to me. And I will be able to buy 20 faux fiddle leaf fig trees and keep them in my warehouse, and every project will get one or two of them every time. And because I'm buying that many, I'm going to get them dirt cheap by comparison. I just have to be able to front load all of that money to buy 40 milk jar vases and, you know, 20 of the same runner. But yeah, that money, like you don't need to have a shop to do it. But at that point, you're practically you there like and you're really efficient on your time because you're like it's almost formulaic yeah and it people love it so if that's what you if that's if you what you want to do, do you that. could do it yes yeah like we're not trying to be shady about it i think many times on the show about how that's just not our fantasy we really love the process of design and coming up with something new and different every time And I feel like for me, that would be like monetizing my joy to an extent that I no longer would would have fun with. I wish that I cared less because it would be a lot easier to make money. We're in business because we wanted to do something creative for ourselves that brings us joy, that doesn't remind us of past careers. And we're at that point where it's like, if this doesn't bring us excitement to work on this project, then let's not do it that way. And... I want to experiment still. Maybe one day we'll level into something else. Who knows? Well, I love everything Lauren does. Totally. You guys should check out Lauren's episode, episode 29. She's in Seattle. We love the vibe. We love the energy. I learned so much from Lauren because she does a lot of historical research and she's very thorough. I think what I would walk away with from this is just nobody has it perfectly figured out. But a lot of it needs to come down to 
what's the end result you're trying to create from your Mm -hmm. projects, because that's going to dictate how you build all the rest of your processes around that final result that you'll give each client. Yep. And there's no right or wrong way. And just keep experimenting. And you're going to find a groove to it. And yeah, maybe one day you will be walking with your clients on the on the banks of the Seine in Paris and it'll be beautiful. Yeah. (laughs) Well, until next time. Stay hot designers. Thanks for joining this meeting of the hot young designers club podcast. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple podcasts. Check out the show notes there for links to things we talked about today. We are keeping the conversation going on Instagram. So don't forget to like, comment, and follow at Hot Young Designers Club. You can find Rebecca on Instagram at Studio Plum. And you can find Sean at Renstead Interiors. That's W-R-E-N-S-T-E-D. I love that journey for you. (laughs) That's the second time someone said that to me this week. Is that like a, a catchphrase now? It's, I mean, it is for us. (laughs) We say that to each other about the stupidest stuff. It's from Schitt's Creek. Creek. Yeah. Oh, that's why. Okay.